Okay, welcome into another episode of Negative War, Positive Vibes. It is postseason time. Philly and I are recording here on Tuesday morning, and the Wild Card Series gets started. We'll get to that in a minute, but we want to start with uh, some of the news that kind of happens. Of course, we don't call it Black Monday in baseball, but it might as well be as we start to um, see some things take place when it comes to managers in particular, maybe some general managers. Some of that news already trickled in before the season had even ended. Uh, but we are now up to four official managerial openings now in Major League Baseball. The New York Mets, the San Francisco Giants, the Cleveland Guardians, because we know Terry Francona, our good friend, was retiring. And now the Los Angeles Angels with the news that Phil Nevin will not be returning. It does sound like the general manager, Perry Manazian, will be um, back, which I'm glad for him. Bum for Phil Nevin. Uh, who certainly we have had on our channel plenty of times, former uh, teammate of mine. And uh, just really well-liked and well-respected guys, Billy. But here we go now with uh, the managerial openings. I'm guessing there's probably still one or two more uh, coming. We'll see. Uh, the New York Yankees, apparently, at least the insider saying that uh, Aaron Boone uh, will return, which I think is good. I mean, you, you look at rosters, and that'll be part of our conversation of what's fair and what's not, and how do you best evaluate a manager. Um, but either way, we know now that we are up to four uh, managerial openings, but the latest news coming out of Los Angeles that Phil Nevin will not be back for 2024. Yeah, so I bump for him too. Uh, I think in general, uh, managers are hired to get fired, and and they're there to, for whatever it's worth, you know, take take blame. I mean, that's that's part of the job. It's a blame game. Uh, you know, in the case of of most managers, they're the ones that are not playing, right? Like, so if you have Poor performance from your position player group or pitching staff um, that always falls on the manager because he can't fire players. You can you can get rid of them. But if they're under long term contracts, um, you know, it's just hard to it's hard to do. So I think in in two cases specifically, the Giants and the Angels, I felt like this is, uh, you know, Phil Nevin and and Gabe Kapler were kind of responsible for nothing. Like they didn't put the rosters together. Mm -hmm. And if you said like, well, it's, it's, you know, their managerial style or whatever. I was like, okay, stop. Like Phil Nevin did not put the roster together. Phil Nevin did not sign Anthony Rendon. Mm -hmm. Phil Nevin did not have these guys get hurt. Like that's not on him unless you're going to say, well, Spilly, you know, in the case of Shohei Otani, he did push him really hard and probably broke him. I, Okay. Yeah, you want to you want to say that? That's there's probably. But we know he wasn't making those decisions, right? That was a group effort with Shohei Otani. He can't take any blame for anything that went on with Shohei Otani because Joe Madden was doing the same thing, trying to get him his tenth win that one year, right? So So, I think when it comes to Otani, we've learned that there is a group effort when it comes to making decisions on how much he pitches, when he plays, trying to play through injuries. So, and on that note, then if you're if you're Placing blame on, because that, that's what I think it is, correct? It's blame. It's it's like you're not the voice for this clubhouse. Your voice was not the right, did not have the right tenor. Um, and, and certainly we can point to other organizations where maybe that is true. Uh, you know, maybe it was true that Joe Girardi wasn't the right voice for the Philadelphia Phillies. You bring in Rob Thompson and and they they turn it around. I also had an experience with Clint Hurdle, who's the manager of this 2007 Rockies team. We go to the world series. He ends up getting fired in 2009 in May. And it wasn't that Jim Tracy who ended up coming in and taking over. It wasn't like Jim Tracy was doing anything different. 
what ended up happening was first off, when your manager gets fired, it's a shock to the system. This is a little bit different because most of these guys are getting fired at the end of the year. But in our case specifically is Hurdle gets fired in the season. That's a shock. Like, oh, man. And then what else happens? The roster changes. They add Carlos Gonzalez and Ian Stewart, two really, really, really good players. And they start playing every day. So it always always comes down to roster construction, CJ. Like, so as much as we could say, well, listen, the, the voice in the room was not great. I mean, I, I even listening to Buck Showalter talk about this season saying, man, there is a couple of things I wish I would have addressed earlier. Okay. That makes a little bit of sense. Okay. So maybe, maybe he lost the room a little bit. I'm not sure how or what. Uh, Tony LaRusso when he was with Chicago with the, with the White Sox, did he lose the room a little bit from what I, from the accounts that I heard? Yeah, kinda, but it's also performance from the team. So I, I think in the, in, in all these cases, CJ, as we're continuing to look at, you know, why do managers get fired? I still want to know why don't front offices take more responsibility for the rosters they put together or in the case of, of the angels specifically, Artie, dude, you're the one that added to the problem. You're the one that signed Anthony Rendon. You're the one that has hamstrung the team. So what do you expect as a result when you're the one making some of these decisions? That's the, and and I don't know how it gets any better. You're right. And so hopefully it gets better uh, with better production from the pitching that they have brought up from the young players that they have drafted recently. And they started to see growth, right, with Zach Neto and Nolan Shanowell. And there were some good things happening, hopefully a healthy Mike Trout. Uh, there are some good things going on with the pitching, but the pitching uh, did not show up the way I thought it was going to this year. I don't know how much you can blame Phil Nevin for that one. But for the most part, outside of Shohei Otani, everybody kind of took a step back. And I looked at it more. If everyone did what they did a year ago, like Tyler Anderson and Sandoval and Suarez and Detmers, that they actually might have been a formidable uh, rotation and could have done some damage. The Carlos Estevez deal at the All-Star break looked like the rob of the century that everybody yeah. else missed out on it. And then he struggled in uh, the second half. So they did not um, get any of the consistency uh, that they were looking for from their starting pitching. I think that played a big role to go along with the injuries. But you're right when it comes to... Uh, Anthony Rendon, we know that's an albatross. It's been a problem. It's going to probably continue to be a problem. They still have a few years left to go on that deal. But how about for the Angels in particular? Mike Sosha goes on that 19-year run, wins a World Series. The next manager that gets hired will be their fourth in fifth year, in five years. Fourth in five years after having stability for 19, which you know makes me wonder when you mentioned about Artie Moreno and making those decisions, is he chasing that Mike Sosha guy, once again, he hasn't been able to find him. And even bringing back Joe Madden. And we saw Joe, Joe Madden doing a couple of quirky things, and I think that probably ultimately is what ended it for him uh, with the Angels. And then, you know, Brad Osmus was there for a year, right? That's the other thing that was a little, you know, kind of he nefarious. Got hosed, he, he got, got completely hosed, hosed, right? As soon as, listen, it was pretty obvious, anybody that pays attention, especially on the inside, that when Brad Osmus was managing the Angels, and we all knew that Joe Madden was not going back to Chicago, right? The way the during the season, the way that was brought up, the way it wasn't being addressed, it was obvious that he wasn't coming back. And there's no doubt that those conversations, and I can't say for sure, but very likely started while that was going on. Sure. So Brad Osmus is managing his one year um, with the Angels, and then you as get a kind lame of the undercut, duck, as because you, you get the undercut 
with Joe Madden kind of coming in and that doesn't work out. Still Nevin to fill in, who's a great baseball guy everyone loves. He's not getting that opportunity. And now there's a heavy competition, right? That's the other part of it. If Bob Melvin becomes available, we'll see what happens there in San Diego. If Craig Council becomes available uh, in Milwaukee, he's, he's really successful. Everything I hear has a lot to do with about the fact that he deserves to get paid and he's not getting paid in Milwaukee. And perhaps maybe they open up the wallets and get it done. But if not, his old boss, David Stearns, is in New York. And there's an opening there with Buck Showalter gone. And we mentioned Gabe Kaplan, of course, uh, Terry Francona. There's four openings right there. If those two become available, now you're talking about six, uh, potentially. And I don't know if there's going to be any more. We'll see. But heavy competition is my point. Like heavy competition. So for the Angels, if they're trying to find their next Mike Sosha, they may have a little bit of an issue doing it. Right? They're coming off a year where I didn't have a problem with a lot of what they did. I know they take a lot of heat for what happened with the deadline and Shohei and everything else. I didn't have as much of a problem with it. But there's maybe a perception there for some, like, oh, is there a little bit of a mess right now? And do I really want to go there if I'm a top candidate? I mean, I, I would want to go. It's a great place. They're going to have a new stadium sooner or later, I think. And uh, But you got to get locked in. They, they, who knows if they're going to be able to be competitive next year. My point there is I just wonder if they're going to have a problem, Spilly, going out, even if the best are available, of really being able to get one of those best based on the fact that there's going to be a couple of other really desirable jobs opening up. That's a great point. Uh, I've been trying to, trying to conceptualize what makes a good manager, especially in, in markets like New York or L.A., you know, what, what do you want from, if, if I'm in that clubhouse, what do I want? What do I need? Um, I mean, the Mets have, have been a disaster of a managerial role too, right? Mickey Calloway, Luis Rojas, Buck Showalter, um, all it was, you're going to have four different managers since 2019. That's not, that's not stability. Um, new coaching staffs, new philosophies, you know, <laughs> In these markets too, you need somebody that's that's able to, you know, take the pressure of the wins and losses with fandom, uh, more so in New York than Anaheim. You still have to deal with owners that that want, you know, and Steve Cohen and and Artie, uh, they want to win, but are they realistic about it? You also have some farm systems that have not produced to a level like the Dodgers or Tampa or Atlanta. So, I mean, one of the one of the key ingredients to any successful franchise is your farm system, scouting, developing and, and growing players internally so you can lower down some of the salary costs, because I think that's another part, CJ. When you think about clubhouse dynamics and and, you know, what a good, solid clubhouse looks like, it's hard to just bring free agent after free agent after free agent because you don't get that. Uh, you and I both know, I, I, I came up in an organization where, you know, like I went through the minor leagues with guys. And when we got to the big leagues, we came together as a wave mm -hmm. and the byproduct of coming up through the minor league system together, like, like what Baltimore's doing is you get to see, you get to see your teammates grow. You get to watch them work. You get to see them struggle. You get to see them have success. And at the end of that, you have buy-in on your teammate. You, you're like, you have this love of the, of your teammate because you've spent time when you bring somebody in from the outside and bring them into the clubhouse, that personality, I haven't seen you work. I know you got paid. I know you're good, but I don't know you dude. And so there's like a little bit of that, you know, feeling out, sniffing out 
that takes some time. And that's why sometimes these, these big market teams that do go out and attract free agents, if they don't have a clubhouse that is welcoming, that is like wide open and free of, of ego, regardless of salary, that's where you get the, the head butting. And I think you can point to San Diego. I think you can point to New York. I think you can point to both, both New York teams. Um, and so like the Dodgers have created something really unique and special there. Yeah. Uh, I think you can take a look at San Francisco and go, okay, was it the clubhouse wasn't great? Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit, but like also you're dealing with free agents that are coming in that might not like the platoon system. So I think there's so many variables here as you're trying to figure out like what fits for all these different markets. I, I think a lot of it has to do with an organization first and foremost looking themselves in the mirror and going, hold on a second, how much of a problem are we? And then how can we make it so that we can bring in a manager in here to just control our clubhouse and control the game in-game stuff? And we are going to provide the players that are that are going to, you know, be successful. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there's just a lot. There's a lot. Uh, there is a lot. And the interview process can also be deceptive, I think, right? You can crush an interview. But what does that mean with an owner and a general manager and a team president? But what does that mean for who you are in the clubhouse, right? I think that was something um, that we have seen over the years where some guys where you feel like should be getting an opportunity were not. And all of a sudden now um, you find out eventually they do get one and they're really good at it. But it was what happened early on. And you hear a lot about the interviews and they're not the same thing. They're just not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. A few spots opened up. I think Stephen Vogt's name is one that's going to come up. We'll see about some of the, um, I don't know, any of the former managers like Joe Girardi, um, you know, maybe as a possibility. Chris Woodward, not that long ago with the Rangers, Jeff Bannister's a couple of former Ranger managers that I think are still in their primes and, and names that you might see. Uh, we'll see what happens with all the new names. Uh, Will Venable is one that has come up over the years. Joe Espada. You know, Sam Fold, but I think he's probably more locked into what's going on in the front office and maybe a better role for him. And kind of going back to what you were saying, quite honestly, you're more protected there. Not that he's trying to stay more protected. As fun as it is to be in uniform and be competitive, if you're looking to get locked into something, especially when your guy is bright like him, um, I get it. You know, Getting in that right position in the front office uh, might be the, uh, the better play. So lots going on there. Uh, that story will continue. Spilly and I no doubt will be covering it on Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio and here uh, on the podcast um, as well. All right. How about wild cards, Billy? It is that time just a few hours away uh, from the official start of the postseason, uh, and that'll be starting in Tampa Bay with the Texas Rangers visiting the Rays for that first uh, wild card series. We have Toronto and Minnesota. Arizona is at Milwaukee and Miami uh, is at Philadelphia. Uh, we saw a lot of these go down to the very last day of the season or at least the final weekend of the season. And now here we are. And uh, pretty exciting stuff uh, going on, no doubt, here in the postseason. I love that there's no real juggernauts out there. And then we look at probably the Braves and the Dodgers as maybe two of the better teams. I think the American League is wide open right now. Um, we love this. We get the four games. Uh, it's awesome. We'll get that a couple of times um, throughout the postseason where you get four games in one day. It should be a national holiday, but it probably happens too many times. Uh, but what are you thinking right now regarding wild card as we kind of take a look around the American League and the National League? So two things that stand out. First off, I love the regular season, how it ended. Uh, I I love that we don't have a game 163. Uh, I love that we had just like a, a cold day off yesterday from baseball. I thought that was important. 
I, I am I am all in on this wild card round. I also think it was really important, and I know Ranger fans are not going to love me for this, but um, a three game series in one place I think is so good for for these series. You know, like it, it does give the advantage to the team with the better record. It does give advantages to teams that uh, played well over the course of the season. You know, in the case of the Rangers, man, uh, what a disaster to finish the season off. You go from possible division to now you're traveling to Tampa. They've been on the road for what's it going to be? Two weeks. It's it kind of like what, uh, what what happened with the Philadelphia Phillies. I hope they rally together because it's been a really uh, good year for them. What was it, 159 days in first place? Same with with Tampa. I mean that the the Tampa Texas series is the one that I feel like is going to be the most disappointing for the team that loses. Like what a heartbreak of a year for the team that loses. I think in the case of Toronto, they kind of got their stuff together at the end. Minnesota is looking to finally get a win. Uh, Arizona snuck in. The Cubs should have been in there, but they didn't. I love how how hard the the Diamondbacks played. Milwaukee, man, significant blow yesterday learning about Brandon Woodruff and his shoulder. And then this Philadelphia-Miami series, fantastic. I think everybody realizes that Philadelphia is the team you don't want to mess with, but don't sleep on Miami. So I'm I'm all good with this entire series. I think all these have intriguing matchups. The one I'm paying to attention the most is Texas and Tampa. Those are the two best teams out of these groups that have been successful for more days than everybody else and they're pitted against each other and the loser of that is going to go home really sad it's a great point at one point this season we thought who was going to be able to take the tampa bay rays out of first place in the al east that seems like a year ago but they were dominating that division and we're like are they going to win 110 games this year right that that was the tampa bay rays story and then they started piling up the injuries and all of a sudden the Baltimore Orioles emerge and they take over first place and Baltimore was in first for a while right it was a little back and forth there there was a really important series in Baltimore toward the end of the season where the Orioles came out on top that was the big one right that four game series where Tampa really couldn't take control of it the way that they uh, needed to that was their opportunity blowing a game late that I believe would have tied them or put them a game back and then that seemed like that was it that gave uh, the Orioles, everything they needed because they had clinched that day, but looked like they were about to lose. They ended up winning an in extra innings, and that was a big uh, momentum shift for them. And then you have, of course, uh, the Texas Rangers, as you mentioned, in first place for 159 days. The thing that they have got to shake, I'm not with the team now, obviously, but you know, you take on some of the emotions. You just do when you're a broadcaster because you care about the team. You want to see them do well. You're a huge fan, all of it. And there is that feeling. You have that fan feeling. I have to like try to remember it. I put myself back, you know, put the player hat back on. The fan feeling of feeling like you're disappointed and what happened. Lose the division the last day. Had that really bad four and 16 run that started in the middle of August that kind of changed the whole dynamics of uh, everything that happened. And now you're on the road. And you mentioned they had a week long road trip and then they, in a tough four game series in Seattle, fly then to Tampa. And if they're fortunate enough to advance, then they have to fly to uh, Baltimore. Right. So they are going to be on the road a ridiculously long time. Um, and you go in kind of half prepared, unprepared. Like, what do I, how much do I pack for two weeks? Right. When you leave for that week long trip, because you could be looking at at least that. Um, it's all, uh, it's all kind of incredible um, to see. So I'm with you. Some injuries, I think, around uh, some teams here and the Rangers with Jonathan Hernandez and Ezekiel Durant. Ezekiel Durant could have been an all star this year. Uh, he struggled in the second half. He is not on the postseason roster. Jonathan Hernandez emerged as a really important arm. He's not on the roster right now. Matt Bush is. 
Matt Bush is on the postseason roster in the first round for the Rangers. Crazy. He hasn't pitched a game for them this year. Unbelievable. I mean, the Hernandez injuries is, is is pretty devastating given the fact he was pitching so well. Uh, he gave up the double to J.P. Crawford in the game uh, that kind of sealed the deal for uh, the Rangers in the in the division, and it wasn't his fault. He came in a bases loaded, no win situation, almost got out of it. Uh, wow. And and I wow. love the stuff. I will I will I and you you've seen it. The the one factor here that I'm I'm kind of pumped for Texas is Leclerc looks like he's back. I mean he's nice. he's looked really good. He's looked really good. I agree, and that's been important. And having the emergence of him, and fortunately, um, I do think uh, Jonathan Hernandez as well, but he's not going to be there, has been important. And I'm curious to see how Bruce Bochy decides to use Araldis Chapman. I'd struggle down the stretch a little bit. You can't overuse him. We know that uh, to be the case, but they need that swing and miss when it's on. A two-seam fastball is filthy, but he's had his moments. And so, like everybody. And so they're going to have to piece it together. Bruce Bochy is going to have to work some real magic. I think, as you know, you and I talked uh, when I when I joined, jumped in a lot out the other day. It seems like an unreasonable ask, but the best case I think for the Rangers, their best formula for winning is putting up a bunch of runs, right? That's what matters. And and when they score five or more, they're an unbelievable team. Under five, and the numbers are really disheartening. So um, they're going to have to score. That's not an easy thing to do. Score big in the postseason is a really difficult um, thing to do. They lost their final game a one to nothing in the three losses that they had in that four game series. Against the Mariners, they scored just two runs in those um, three games. But it's going to be fun, man. There's a lot of cool young players that will be on display, certainly with thinking about the Arizona Diamondbacks, Billy, and all that athleticism that they have. I think that should be a really fun one. Some bad news for the Brewers, uh, losing Brandon Woodruff, right? That That's yeah. it's a big one for them. I mean, listen, they still have Huge. arms with Burns and Peralta, but uh, it hurts. So if they could get this thing done in two games, I still like the Brewers. I don't like them as much without Woodruff. Um, but real quick on that one, and we'll get out of here. But the Arizona Diamondbacks, Milwaukee Brewers, um, winners got to play the Dodgers. And so that certainly is going to be a tall task. But I, I I feel like, all right, I look at a couple of these, and you mentioned that that Ranger-Tampa series should be a pretty good one. The Twins are really hurting with injuries right now. The Blue Jays were the better team. Actually, like the Blue Jays better when you look at their overall year. Um, Miami Phillies should be decent. Miami could surprise with some of those arms, but I think Philadelphia is certainly favored. This one, though, Milwaukee-Arizona, I don't have a good feel or a good feeling about who I think is really going to win this series. Yeah, it's very evenly matched, very evenly coached. And then uh, the winner of this one, uh, I don't want it. <laughs> Arizona has some demons to exercise with Dodger Stadium. And I don't know if they're capable of doing it. I mean, it would be fantastic. I would love to see Arizona Dodgers because I love the National League West. Yeah. Uh, I think the Brewers are better suited to knock out the Dodgers if possible. I don't think that the Diamondbacks could. But this one's going to boil down to just some offense. Who scores? I don't I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to give up many runs. I don't think the Brewers are going to give up many runs because they're both really good defensive teams. Uh, Arizona had one of the higher fielding percentages in the sport. Milwaukee had the best defensive team in baseball based on advanced analytics and metrics. Um, this one's good. You're right. Other than home field advantage, coin flip. Get a coin. Flip, say heads for the Brewers, tails for the Snakes, and that's your choice. It's going to be great, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love getting locked in. Uh, we got a bunch of shows this week on MLB Network Radio. Uh, we'll certainly be around here on the podcast. Maybe we'll have a little fun on 
on social media. We haven't, I've never done a, I guess I don't call it Twitter spaces anymore, but X spaces. We need to have like a, a loud outs group uh, X spaces. Um, I think would be uh, a lot of fun with our group because our, our chat is always a blast. Uh, the thing I love about our group is, first of all, knowledgeable. I always learn something working with all of our guys, the passion for it, right? Everyone loves it, uh, the experience behind it. And uh, it's it, it's the conversation as far as that I want to be in when I'm having a drink and watching baseball. And so we got to figure out a way to bring that maybe to everybody, but make sure we also don't get anybody fired. That is the balance, Billy. And it's not necessarily uh, an easy thing. Um, to do, but we'll figure out a way to make it happen during the postseason. Spilly's going to be really busy traveling, uh, doing some work for us uh, on site once you get to the league championship series. And he's also at the World Series, and he's going to be calling the World Series on the international feed, which is awesome. It has been uh, the year of Ryan Spielborgs, that is for sure. All right, that's going to do it for us here. Loud outs, not loud outs, Billy. A negative or positive vibe. I hope I don't get myself in trouble for that one. Uh, we'll be around. Postseason starts soon, and we're absolutely thrilled about it.